Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back. This is E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. And today we are on with Jack and Jack is in New York. So I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself, the climate zone that he's in and what he's been up to. My name is Jack Roseberry. I'm an architect. The name of my firm is Roseberry Architectural Studio. Uh, we're located in West Sable, New York. So we are in a seaside environment on Long Island. Uh, we have a, on Long Island, we have we are climate zone 4A, but there's a diverse climatology here from east end to west end and north shore to south shore. So that's what we, we deal with a lot of that stuff as far as in our thinking for this. I also am the architect, the, the regional architect for Suffolk County Habitat for Humanity, and I do a lot of their work on small construction, on, on small homes and uh, renovations for uh, low-income housing. I think that's fantastic. I actually do a bunch of community projects here uh, in Maine, too. I haven't done Habitat for Humanity, although I have a lot of other friends in the building science world who have been working with uh, Habitat for Humanity in different locations here in Maine um, as well. But those are always really fascinating projects for me because we spend a lot of time trying to really improve the structure. Uh, We did one that was really exciting where we had the Region 9 high school kids have a trade program and they actually built it with a contractor. Tell me a little bit about habitat in your area. So you said there's a lot of different climate aspects, you know, both from north and south side, but you're you're in an area where you're close to the water and you deal with um, probably a lot of moisture that isn't typical in other parts of New York or other climate zone four. Right. We deal with a, we deal with a high level of moisture and also you deal with wind. We're, we're, we're required to design to, you know, 130, 140 mile an hour wind load. So we have to, you have to take that all into account. But we, what, another aspect of what we do here, which is, is the, the building code here makes you make the, the houses airtight, less than three air changes per hour and habitat kind of we we've had this back and forth debate within habitat of saying hey we could get a house down to 1.5 air changes per hour and i keep saying to everybody it's like okay but you have to let the house breathe you don't let the house breathe you're going to have other issues especially in a big wind in a big windstorm because you have negative pressures and, a, and then a house kind of has stress from those negative pressures so it's a balance balancing act of where the code sits compared to where the wind sits and how we do as far as climatology is concerned it's a really interesting aspect that you talk about the wind because we are really big on, you know, the house doesn't need to breathe, the occupants need to breathe, and we are, you know, exchanging the air. When you get down to 1.5, you know, you need a lot of fresh air ventilation, you got to get rid of moisture, you got to get rid of toxins, you got to get rid of all of that. But um, I think we're only at 120 uh, for wind speed, and, and that's, I think, more in our coastal areas. There could be a couple of places that, that are worse than that. But when you start talking, um, um, negative pressure and really windy, you know, you're up in those 140, um, you're really talking about how you're pushing outside environment into the structure, creating these negative, you know, pressures. And so that's a really interesting aspect to think of in different in a different climate zone is, you know, we're concerned so much about heating because we're in cold, you know, we're in really cold climate, either zone six or zone seven. Um, and so we're 
with less wind. So we're more concerned about the energy aspects of building it tight, ventilating, doing those things where in your case for durability and energy performance and in zone four, where it's maybe not as cold, you know, you're not going to see the temperature. Like it was negative seven here this morning. I don't know how cold it was. <laughs> <laughs> have you had snow? We do. We have, um, we don't have a lot of it this year. Surprisingly, we keep getting little snowstorms where we'll get, you know, three, four, six inches. We haven't gotten a big pile of snow. And last week it was 44 degrees. And now this morning it was negative seven. So it's been an interesting spring to say the least. It was low 20s this morning. But my area where I live, I live in Medford, which is about 15, 20 minutes east of here, is what they call the beginning of the Pine Barrens, okay? And the Pine Barrens on Long Island can go down to 15 degrees colder because it's, a lo- it's near the water, but it's a low area. And it can be as much as 15 degrees colder than, say, the north shore of the island or the south shore of the island. So you actually sit in a bowl, and it really depresses the temperature out there. So you can get nights where, you can get nights where you know, the middle of Long Island might be mid-teens or 20 on a cold, cold uh, night. And you can be in the Pine Barrens at one or two degrees below zero at that point. So it's a big difference. In just, and it's a 15-mile difference. You know, that's what we deal with sometimes out here. So each house, you know, it's a, these microclimates here on Long Island that sometimes you have to account for. And it's, it's it, it, you have to, I think we, we try to get a universal answer, but sometimes it depends on where you are on the island, especially. Well, and I also think um, New York, uh, my husband lived in Rochester, New York for three years. And so I was somewhat familiar with New York's energy codes, which are, um, we'll say they're much better than Maine because Maine uh, has a tendency to be a little bit behind the times. So we're trying to catch them up and the rest of us are doing, you know, even better in spite of, uh, you know, what our code says to do. But, but New York's energy code is, is pretty good. They keep up with it. They keep getting better. Um, but what we're finding is the training with that doesn't seem to be keeping up with, you know, how do you meet that three air changes per hour? And, oh, no, in this, you know, microclimate or environment, you wouldn't want to have the vapor barrier on the exterior or, um, you know, have a continuous rigid foam insulation on the outside of the house for x reason or y reason and so it's been really interesting to hear people's take on code better than code you know high performance houses i know in new york city they're doing a lot with passive house because they've got row homes and there's a great you know there's a great place to do that um are you seeing any of that type of construction either with habitat or trying to do that i mean you've said they can get down to 1.5, which is great. So they're starting to think about it, but. Oh yeah. Well, they, they actually, we, I work with Habitat where we actually did a lead. They actually were doing lead houses a few years back. Um, but that kind of petered out because that gets, it gets a little expensive for them to handle at that point. The United Way on Long Island does a lot of building science uh, stuff as far as what they're seeing. And they do a lot of experimentation. They actually have a, a lab like a building laboratory where they do these experiments on uh, heating and cooling and how, how a house breathes and doesn't breathe and how you can seal a house better and that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, here, here on Long Island, we are required to, we're doing new houses. We have to bring a, do a blow a door test. Okay. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's the same thing in Maine, but we have to do blow a door test on every new house. So it's 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 also having to educate the educate educate the contractor and the environment and say, hey, wait a minute, you need to do a blow a door test, or else you're not going to get your seal, or you're not going to get what you need to get done. And they're oh, and why do I need that for? Well, because <laughs> you know it's code. You have to do it, and it's so it educates the contractor, educate educates, but it educates the client as well. But it's always that that fine line. I'm older. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm older, and I always felt the house should breathe. That you, you know, you're missing something if you're not getting fresh air ventilation in the houses. So that's for me was a big. Uh, it's still a change in thinking. I, I hadn't thought. You know, I have to change my thinking as I've gone along on stuff like that. Oh no! It's the first thing I say in every building science class that I teach. Um, that, you know, I say, "How does this need to breathe?" And everyone says, "Yes," and I say, "Nope." As long as you do the other things that go along with it, you know. Well, yes, and that's. That's the whole purpose of it is, it is it depends, you know, the occupants need to breathe, but you know, the, the structure doesn't necessarily need to breathe because if the structure is leaky, then the fresh air that you're getting in your structure isn't always fresh. It's coming from the basement. It's coming through your insulation. It's coming through your attic layer, et cetera. So we like to provide fresh air from directly outside as if you had your windows open. And then depending on how, you know, high or low your ventilation rate is, um, you might have an ERV or an HRV to pre-cool uh, or preheat that air, et cetera. You might just have passive ventilation with bathroom vent fans, lots of things there. But I think the really important part and and what you're saying and what I think a lot of the traditional methods and thinking that the house needed to breathe was that people used to think about how moisture vapor moved through the system. And so if the house itself was breathing, you never had moisture issues. And so I would assume that in your location, you probably have wind driven moisture issues that you have to take a look at that kind of on a larger scale and being in climate zone four, instead of where we're in a cold climate, you know, if we had a vapor barrier on the inside, we'd be trying not to push moisture into our wall system from the inside because the temperature dip. But for you guys, you have really humid summers. So 50% of the time, your vapor barrier would be on the wrong side. So uh, instead of thinking that our houses need to breathe, we try to term that as like our houses need to be vapor open. So the air doesn't need to move through it, but the vapor sure does. Like it needs to go somewhere. And in your case, it might need to come in and dry to the inside. Uh, or, you know, maybe there's some, are you doing exterior vapor barriers to try to cut down on some of that wind driven rain? Now, well over 90% of the houses that I've seen are, are put, put a Tyvek building paper. Actually, they're using... Um, zip system, yep. Zip system, yes, thank you. And um, I can visualize this stuff and I could remember the name of it. And uh, yeah, those type of... That's, that's more and more the high-end stuff, but the lower-end housing, the, you know, the, the, the lower-end cost housing, you're getting into... You still see the Tyvek, you still, still see the... But you need that, though. You can't... Because what's, what's on the outside of most homes is, is vinyl. You know, it's vinyl and building and Tyvek building paper. Now they now you put up uh now they're putting up rigid insulation on the outside of the Tyvek and that's all flash uh flash taped. So that's all taped uh, together so there's there's no seams in that in the insulation. So it's it, you know, the the little things that we're doing to to make the houses more efficient is, you know, driving somebody driving these uh things to be you know, to build a better house at that point. 
Sure, sure. Absolutely. I mean, we're doing, we're not doing a whole lot of Tyvek because for our instance, we're pushing moisture from the inside out. So we want that exterior layer that would normally be Tyvek to be vapor open. So we're doing like a Henry Blue Skin or a Sega Myrest or, you know, a Proclima Mento, uh, those kinds of things. So some of the slightly more uh, building science-y, you know, they get wet from the inside and they open and they let the vapor out. And it's, you know, these fun kind of crazy things but you know in your environment uh, two inches of rigid insulation on the outside in climate zone four might be enough insulation on the exterior that you never have any condensation on the inside of your sheathing that well we haven't had we haven't i haven't seen two inches yet it's basically a half inch to one inch to rigid rigid insulation i was just at a house at one of my houses today they're doing what they call flash bat they spray first and then they come in behind it with the bat insulation and they do like an inch and a half to two inch of spray foam and they do the bat insulation and that seems to be an even tighter ship than than what we've been doing before at that point so i i saw that today for the first time that was very interesting something that i would say or point out or or whatever that we do here would be it'd be interesting for you to go back and blower door test that in a couple of years after the structure has dried out and see if that spray foam has separated from the structure at all is it still as tight as it was because it's um spray foam seems to have this curb on the market right now where they're like oh we build these super tight houses and that first year it probably is pretty tight but we all know that you know the building's going to dry out so all those materials are going to dry and you know does the spray foam um separate from that and you know for me being sort of really high performance um we're trying to do more low carbon buildings so we're trying to get away from the spray foam in general too so really yeah Spray foam's just really terrible for the environment. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm not I'm not super in love with spray foam outside of a couple of applications. Now, here's I, you brought up something I just that um, that was interesting, and it came it's come up a couple of times recently. New York State has a what they call a technical bulletin, and the technical bulletin is a section of code that was that you know they they uh, an interpretation. And what New York State is saying now is when you have, say you build, you take a sunroom, that, uh, not a sunroom, a garage that's thermally isolated from the rest of the house, and you convert that into living space, that living space with the garage has to pass the blower door test. And that was interesting because we, I had one last year, I think it may have been two years ago, where we had to do the blower door test in such a way that the garage was less, that the garage would be less than three point. 3.0 air changes, but the rest of the house had to be taken kind of into consideration as well. And my understanding that the house actually, when, when they did the garage and they sprayed it all in and got it nice and tight and then did the blow door test over the whole house, including the garage, they actually got under 3.0 air changes and they hadn't touched the rest of the house. That was pretty interesting. When I, when I, got, the, when I got the report from the contractor, I was like, huh, that's very interesting. So you, know, you, don't have, you have a situation where you've made a part of the house very tight and yet the house is still the house was built fairly well, and so it was an old. It was built in the '60s or the '70s. The only caveat I will have about that, and thinking about it years later, is we were really wet that year. I mean, really like super high wet that year. So maybe the house was tight. You know, um, maybe the house was super tight because of the moisture. I don't know, but that was that was. I just recall that being that was very moist that year. That was where we were running into some moisture issues on homes and. Yeah, we we mold is a big problem with moisture because with the moisture we get because if you don't get it out of certain areas, it gets really bad really quick, you know, because it just doesn't get escape. 
at that point. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's the part that's always fascinating to me is when you get into different climate zones where they might be hot or humid, you, you could have more moisture, you know, funny, um, talking with, uh, with Betty down in Florida and the, she said, our mechanical engineers say, don't ever open the windows. <laughs> Because they don't want to introduce any of that exterior moisture that they have into, you know, the interior space of their houses. And so you, we, we have moisture here, um, but not definitely not as much because we have a colder climate. You know, we might have two weeks in the summertime where it's hot and humid, you know, uh, but a lot of times in the summer we don't have that. But uh, I know from living in New York uh, for a couple of years, uh, and I actually grew up in Pennsylvania, that... It's a completely different scenario. You have hot and humid summers, and so you must be dealing with, you know, the humidity in the summertime and mold issues and people opening their windows and, and all of that. Well, we get the here on Long Island, you get a different, what you get is that like mid to late, like we don't get hot for extended periods, maybe a month, if that, but you get these periods in August and September where it's, 75 degrees, 95% humidity, and, and the air conditioning is working double. You can't really get the air conditioning to really kick in hard enough because it's just not cool enough. And you just can't get, you rid, can't of get rid of the moisture at that point. Now what do you do? So it's, it, 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 it's so many different scenarios with this. Is, is, you know, it's interesting. You know, we, I, I, we talk about – I know with Habitat, we talked about ERVs, but it's also – you have to ed- with this, all this building science stuff on our end is educating ourselves. Is we have to go back in and educate the building officials too here because they don't get it sometimes about you know they they think building they think air could they uh, I have a couple habitat houses with this one municipality and they force us to air condition houses. They're like, wait a minute, I don't have to air condition the house. We introduce air this way. And they're like, nope. Well, our understanding of the code is you have to have a central a central ventilation system with air conditioning to introduce the proper air changes and everything else. And sometimes you just don't fight city hall. You do what you need to do at that point. So, yeah, I think that that's a, that's the biggest thing. And actually I'm glad you brought it up and that we're talking about code here. Um, so in Maine, um, they're working on adopting, I think 2015, which is what five years old. And we're only just getting around to adopting that over 2009. So no, people haven't had to do blower door tests. So you're one you're one set behind us because we're getting ready to adopt 2018. Yeah. In May, we're in May. We're we have this you can have this conversation with me in May. I'll probably be like, okay, I'm trying to real hard to cat figure it all out. Yeah, you're <laughs> you like, I'm, tra- I'm trying to read this. What does this say? Yeah, but it's just it's really interesting though because as as architects and builders and building officials, like every time they update the code, we have to learn all these new things, and you know to follow all of them. And so here they're doing a lot of um, they're they're trying to figure out their implementation, and they actually got some people who who do high performance building and building science to participate in these code updates and everything and they they were gonna write you know continuous exterior insulation and we went whoa 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 whoa, whoa yeah, yeah no Continu- hold on <laughs> continuous insulation okay 
maybe that's fine, but you can't say it's on the exterior, especially in our climate. If you put, you know, half an inch of foam on the exterior, you're going to have condensation in your sheathing. And so education to, you know, to kind of say, no, 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 because that means if you build a double stud wall, it wouldn't meet code. And yet everybody is like, oh, double stud walls, you know, all the time. And so we're like, okay, if you're going to say that continuous insulation is required, like the wording has to be kind of like this, and this is how you interpret it. And you know, code is so crazy because like you said, you walk into one town and the town officials like, nope, this is what it says. And I'm like, well, this is what I think it says, you know, and at, at some point you, you kind of come to an agreement or whatever. And like, or not. You just kind of say, well, you do, okay. <laughs> I say, okay, well, you know. You know, unless it's something that you know is going to be a major issue, you're like, oh, okay. We'll, we'll do that, you know, but it's, right. it's so true that, you know, education, both of the, you know, building department, the builders, the architects, anybody who's doing it is like, every time we update this, there needs to be all these training sessions so that people understand it because, you know, they're asking, especially with the IECC, they're asking people to build much more efficient structures without giving them any of the knowledge of their climate zones. Like you said, you have wind-driven moisture issues and wind and negative pressure. And I don't know that people think about that it, when they're, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to use two by six and this isn't going to fall down and we've got to use these hurricane clips and, you know. Have you ever heard of uh, NYSERDA, M-Y-S-E-R-D-A? Yes, I did hear of NYSERDA. And in fact, when I went to get registered in the state of New York, um, the, the building department official was like, wait, you're a HERS raider and an architect? I don't know if we have any of those here. So, <laughs> uh, NYSERDA. You're a HERS raider as well? Good for I you. I am. Good for um, you. You have all the equipment. Or you just, or you pass, you just have the, the computer software. Uh, no, I have all the equipment. So I do oh, blower door good testing. Good for you. So it's funny that you say blower door testing. I just did a blower door test on one of our projects the other day. You know, and then I'm going around and we have ERVs and I'm testing all of the exhaust ports on the ERV to you know make sure that where we are supplying fresh air ventilation, we're getting what we actually asked for. And um, so yeah, I thought for me it was something I was really interested in, and for the state of Maine, energy performance, whether they're requiring it or not, is really important. I mean, when it's negative seven degrees outside, you want to be warm. Well, yeah, but you're never going to get quite. I mean, negative seven. You're asking. You're talking delta T sixty five. That's a lot to get to seventy two degrees. Uh huh. There's not a lot, a whole lot of heating systems going to get there. You know, it's just you have to accept the fact that you're going to be sixty five that day. You know, that's what we deal with. We deal with. We sort of deal with that here. When we get really cold, and it doesn't happen. It happens once every couple of years. We get to five below or something like that, and you you just you you accept the fact that you could pop it. Your your house just isn't going to catch up, especially an older home like my house is forty something years old. Uh, my, my seven day, I'm worried about freezing the kitchen pipes, you know, stuff like that. I have to, you know, you have to be really careful. Yeah, we're definitely not worried about that with our really thick walls and everything is brought to the interior and, you know, really low air movement. Um, we do have heat pumps, but a lot of people here have a wood stove. So on these days when it's negative seven degrees, they might turn the wood stove on. Um, ah, okay. You have to be really careful. Um, there are heating systems. We heat with fuel oil. I don't know if you guys still have number two fuel oil. Yeah, we have number two fuel oil. Matter of fact, we're in the. Uh, we actually had a moratorium. It was funny down here. We were actually had a moratorium that we weren't. They weren't doing any new gas connections 
for about six months. It was all politics, but you know, they, we were having, you know, I, I'm doing a 70 unit, um, a 70 unit apartment complex. And my client, we were talking back and forth and we were talking about going, as a matter of fact, we are because the heat pump for this is more efficient than the gas service even. Absolutely. And, yeah. And we went, wow. You know, but we, the only, th- the only problem, and that, you know, my, you know, I, I got a whole education on that and how that's going to work and everything. And I went, wow, that's going to be easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So that's actually a big thing is, is trying to figure out how this all, you know, all these systems work and the new, the new mechanics of uh, the new mechanical systems and everything else uh, is going to be a real interesting thing in the future, how this all go- goes together. But where I was going with NYSERDA is NYSERDA actually puts out a really good book that they, they have on, that they put out there uh, that's called Build Better. It's a guide to energy efficiency for one and two family construction. And it's really interesting. You go through a book and you go, okay, I can pick, you pick up little things here and there and how the, uh, you know, how things should work and how you should spec your drawings. It's quite pretty interesting. Efficiency Vermont has, you know, great programs where I actually think that they have HERS raters that they can go out and they can help people and that's through their energy program. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, to start getting some education on this. And as we move forward with, you know, right. codes and, and more efficient structures, I love that NYSERDA puts that out there for people and says, hey, we have this information, you know, here, here it is. So. Yeah, they actually, they were really good about it. And I'm wondering how well they'll do it in the next code cycle, but they actually, you know, gave, gave a uh, code and co- they actually did give the commentaries to the energy code like in the last couple of years, they put that out there because New York State played around with the energy code in the last couple of years. So uh, they've put out commentaries and different things. So they've kept us, you know, same with that part of it. <laughs> you know, some of it was making us crazy, but they were keeping it, you know, they put it out there and you say, oh, that's why, you know, you figure, out, you figure out what you have to figure out at that point. No, I think that's exactly true. Is I think every time a new code comes out, it should always come out with commentary because you could spend... I mean, you could spend the whole year trying to figure out what changed. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So you're building a, a very large apartment building. That's exciting. Yeah, um, I think- right. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm I'm doing a, a set like th- it's it's th- four buildings. It's um, uh, 15, 12 units, twelve units, and three and three and three units of three buildings of twelve units, and then a fourth building that's twenty six units. And they all go between 600 and 1,200 square feet. And it was a lot of detailing. Just finished the conducts. It's a lot of detailing to figure out all this stuff and making sure that, that you know, you have the, it's, it, you have the, the um, separation from the brick panels. You have to have these different things. It'll have, some of it has to be fire rated. Some of it doesn't. It's, it's been a challenge. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it is um, as part of the, the low carbon future and everything that we're participating in. They say that you're, we're going to build New York city every 34 days for the next like 40 years or something like that, which I think is, is crazy. And so I'm not as familiar with long Island in your area, but um, is part of the reason why you're doing big uh, apartment complexes. And, and I'm a, a huge proponent of density. I think it's fantastic, but as part of it because you're running out of land. I mean, yes, we're 90% built out yeah. on Long Island. So what they have to, what they're finally, well, what they're also starting to come to a realization is, well, Long Island has a lot of challenges with this stuff. So you, you have a infrastructure challenge. You have a, you have to, we don't have great infrastructure. We don't have sewers in a lot of places, especially a lot of downtowns don't have sewers. So 
when you so to build transit oriented transit oriented development, you have to do you have to build the infrastructure for it. Um, the project that I'm doing in Smithtown fortunately has enough area that we could put a small packaged sewage treatment plant. But eventually, we're looking to they're finally looking to extend sewers into this one town in Smithtown, New York. And they, once they extend the sewers, it's going to make a big difference as far as uh, increasing the density of downtown areas, giving more uh, giving more apartments, more more housing in the downtown areas, so people can walk to walk to the stores, walk into a community. Uh, and also go down, go into, uh, you know, they can walk to the railroad station and take the train to New York City. So that's a big thing as far as what, that's a, a push that uh, they're doing here on Long Island. There's a group called Vision Long Island that's really been behind some of this stuff and uh, to get more advancement as far as transit-oriented development on Long Island. Yeah, so I think that's fascinating because Maine is um, pretty rural and, you know, most of our population lives in the bottom one third of the state. And, you know, we do a lot of single family homes here. We, I think our tallest building in the city of Portland is like 19 stories or something like that. You know, we don't have, you know, we don't have the same challenges that you do. Although the city of Portland does have uh, similar challenges as the people who want to live downtown and in the city, there's just nothing available anymore. And so they're trying to improve the, the density and, and all of that. And I think that's really a great way for us to have a big impact on environment is to, to give people smaller smaller housing, but in areas, better housing, you know, in areas where you can take the bus and you can get into New York city. Like that's fascinating. People right. want to do that. They want to live in those types of communities. And so, you know, building more of that here um, in Maine is, you know, if it, even if it's a suburb, suburban community outside of the city is to create a community where people want to stay, where they have something common. We did a five lot uh, net zero subdivision where all the houses are facing solar south, but they also have hiking trails on the property and they have a community garden and we created a community space out of it. So I always found things in other parts of the country as really fascinating because you, you're, you're building out communities because you have to <laughs> like 90% build out in Long Island means there's no more land. There's no, there's no place to go. What you're, you're actually getting almost like a European effect. Now you start I've been, I've been, um, I've been doing this now for 35 years. I don't know if you've been doing it that long. Not quite um, as long. Not quite as long. Okay. So when you run across some, let's, let's go, you run across something that you did say 30 years ago and it's being remodeled or renovated. And you have to, that's, that, that's, that's kind of like, wow. You, you look at it and you go, oh my God, they're renovating a building of mine. Yeah, but he is, I, I had to sit there. I remember what I did. And I came across it. I sat, I pulled into the parking lot next door. And I'm looking at it. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm getting old. <laughs> you know? It's happened a couple of times since. I just look at it. I just go, wow. It's just we're not. We, we, you think your architecture lasts forever, but it really doesn't. And you have to just face that fact. But that's also true here. We, we kind of like every 50 years, we modify the house to change the house around. Do this with the house. Do that with the house. It's not even Maybe that building long. Si yeah. And maybe building sciences should check, catch up on the existing. What, what I also find sometimes with, with, with this is that we have to catch up a, a little more on how we're going to do in addition to an existing house, how an existing house gets rehabilitated, you know, those type of things, because that's, you know, not everybody's going to build a new house. There are a lot of people are just going to renovate what they have or, or change it or fix it. And they, educating them 
at that point say you have to do this, you should do this, this, and this while you're here because you'll have to return on investment in the long run. That's a trickier thing when you talk about you know something that's maybe ten thousand dollars and they don't see it right away. You know, renovations are always hard and they always cost more money than people think they are. They're like, oh, I got this great thing and I just want to do this one little thing, and you're like, well, it doesn't work that way. Um, so we talk a lot about that in our building science right. discussion group. Yeah. Is at what point is like enough enough on a on a renovation, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing um, a an energy performance. So, you know, you do as much as you can until it starts to become economically unfeasible to do more. You know, you do the best that you can when you're building an addition onto an existing structure. Yes, we should be renovating our existing structures, but I think it's like the United States and Japan has like, they like to push things down every five years or something where you think Europe and I, you know, I lived in Rome for six months and some of those buildings have been there forever. And what they did was just long-term maintenance on it. Somebody just cared about it. So it still stood there. You know, they don't push their buildings down every, every five to 10 years. They, no. they have these no. things that they just continue to maintain. That's the whole, you know, think about the life cycle of this whole thing, but that's a hard sell as you know, as an architect to a client is we need you to spend a little bit more money. And, and then, but you say, but it's going to last you three times as long and depending on what they want to do with their home or their building, that may not have any interest to them. Right. So, uh, so that's always a a hard sell. You're right. Renovation work is, is so important, but also at the same time, it's, it's a harder sell than some of the new construction stuff, which doesn't cost quite as much to do a little bit better, but at the same time, you know, building it a little bit better so that it does have that longevity for, you know, the longer term. And you're right. The Unfortunately, your architecture doesn't last forever and styles change every so often. I actually was at a beautiful house today. Um, the woman renovated the kitchen in the 80s. And normally you would say like, oh, I'm sure that kitchen's going to be terrible. But it is beautiful and it's on point and it's exactly what all the kitchen designers are doing right now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I said, well, aren't you glad you never changed this kitchen? Because this is what people, this is exactly what people want. Like even down to the color. Sometimes when it's done right, it's timeless and people are starting to ask for it. So, Well, well right now my office is in a landmark house that was built in around 1780. And this is one of, this house was one of the stops on George Washington's tour of Long Island in, in 1792. So I have the, I deal with, I deal with, you know, I'm like the docent here. I have to tell everybody the history as the landlord told it to me. But, you know, you talk about building science and everything else. In this building, there's no, you know, you, you, it has drafts. The windows, the original, a lot of the windows are, I wouldn't say original, but they're probably 50 to 70 years old. You know, you have to set every thermostat just right. The building gets hot, the building gets cold. You know, it gets right, never, right. You're really monitoring you know, it. <laughs> you have to really, uh, you know, and people just come, like, they'll walk out the other day. Oh, we're going to turn the heat off because nobody's in it. And then, you know, I walk in because I'm the first one in and the place is freezing to death. Or worse yet, if somebody forgets to turn it off and hits, the ro- and hits another thermostat down the hall, this room, the, my office will be roasting when I walk in in the morning, and the and the whole interior of the building will be freezing. So it's like it's it's a science just keeping up with that. Yeah, well, I'm sure, and I'm sure that that one time that somebody forgets to turn it down because they were a little chilly in the afternoon, and then you get that heating bill. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that, unfortunately, it's not oh. my. It's, I don't own the building. I'm the rent. I t- rent it, but I can't imagine it, the the heating the heating bills for this place. I just can't. <laughs> well, and you bring up another point, which is you know you have a house that or a, an office, a building, a structure that was built in the 1700s, and so um, that actually lends into probably if that building owner wants to do anything to that building, it can be on the historic registry, and there may be things that they're not allowed to do or allowed. Exactly. To, which adds exactly. a whole other layer to you know, you're sitting there in your office freezing because that window that's been there for 70 years is drafty. It's fallen apart. It leaks, you know, but there's nothing you can do about it because it's on the historic register and they have to maintain the style of that house. And so right. And the style of the window and having to deal with the window, the window companies having to deal with all of that. And, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and if you if you do get to the point where they accept your renovation and you're doing a historic replica of that window, right? You're spending a lot of money to make it money. the way that it always has. So it's been an interesting mm-hmm. idea and the concept in architecture is we have these things that are beautiful, that are old, that are you know that you love to look at, and at the same time, when you're sitting next to that drafty window trying to you know work on a project, it's really not so great. Oh, there's some mornings so it's cold or warm or whatever. You just deal with it. But that's, you know, it's it's actually, I was starting to feel it. It was starting to get on a warm side in here. So I had to go out and, okay, what's the time it's not looking like here? You know, and <laughs> make the little adjustment, get it a little cooler in here. And then I'll bet if I come back in four hours, it'll be cold in here again or whatever. So right. it's, and a, it's a challenge. No, that's actually another really interesting point that you talk about is when we talk about high performance homes and we have these super insulated structures is we're just trying to keep that building shell from really losing uh, as little heat as possible. So then we put heat pumps in and the heat pumps only blowing 70 degree air because right. it's only bringing the temperature maybe back up a degree or two versus, you know, in your offices, oh, I got a little hot in there. You turn the temperature down, but then in an hour you'll be freezing and you turn the temperature up. It's got to right, be you lose, it just lot, loses you know? so much. It loses, it's, it's so, loses much. so much heat. Yeah. Yeah. But like uh, you, you come back to one, one last topic was I just did a, I, I had to visit a church. They wanted to do an, a remodel in addition to the church and I'm in their, their sanctuary and the sanctuary was maybe 25 feet by 25 feet. And there was well over a hundred people in there and it was hot. Like you, I mean, sweltering. super hot. <laughs> oh, it was sweltering hot in there. And I was like, Oh my God! The first thing I'm going to recommend to these people is to put a fresh, you know, they, they have the, you know, the wall hung air conditioners because it's an older house. But I'm like, you really got to start to think about is you need from an environment standpoint. A day like today, and it was 25 degrees that day. It wasn't like it was warm right. outside, but it just got so out of control. It was just like you have to bring in air, and because you, you know, these people, everybody's wearing suits and ties and a whole bit, and it's like, oh my God, you know, you're. I just can't imagine on a weekly basis without some help from a from a ventilation standpoint. So that's another part of the sciences we uh, have to deal with it uh, in in renovation, remodel, addition, and what it's being used for. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're saying this is a church, and you're thinking like, oh my goodness, it's so hot in here. But what they're not realizing too is how much carbon dioxide do you think was in that room? Everybody's tired and sleepy now. Oh, it was rough. It was rough in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, people get so. sleepy. It gets rough. It was a rough environment. You know, I just said, you know, and I'm sitting there going, yeah. And I just came from an inspection. I was in contractor flannels and everything else and going. Oh, you were hot. Oh, it was warm. Yeah, it was very warm. They finally had to be like a, a towel or something like that to wipe my brow with. It was so hot in there. But yeah, it's something they have to, because, you know, you, you know, you know, we all know 
if you if you have an environment like that, you're not bringing in fresh air, you're not bringing in cooler air. You know how it affects people's minds, how it affects the, the you know the, the quality of what you're doing and everything else. It has to you have to maintain it. But people, you know, they only think, oh, it's a, well, I only get 100 people once a week in there. Well, that one one minute from one day, bring in fresh air, pull something in the air, air ventilation, that kind of thing. Yeah, so. you absolutely need to do that. So anyway, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking to me about, you know, New York and what you've been up to and what you're doing. I love that you're working with Habitat for Humanity. Yeah, anytime. I hope you've been enjoying this year's podcast. I can't believe that it's March of 2020 already. In fact, today is my 10 year anniversary. And although the podcast is up and live, I am hopefully relaxing on a beach somewhere in Curacao, enjoying the rays of sunshine before I head back to Maine and talk more about building science and climate zone six. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, please like, share, leave us a comment, send me a comment on the website or an email at emily at matramarch.com. I am always open for suggestions or if you have any comments that you'd like me to change up or talk about something specific on the podcast, I'd be happy to do so. So reach out. I'd love to hear from you.